good to see you. I ask you to please turn in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 9 is where we'll be this morning. And we're going to be in the book of Isaiah for this whole month of December looking at the, the Advent season and the expectation and longing for Christ. And this is the part of the church calendar that reminds us of the longing and the waiting for God's Messiah, for, for Israel's deliverer to be born, Christ the Lord. And it's been a practice of the Christian church for nearly 2,000 years to enter into Advent, beginning this Sunday now, this, the arrival season, and remembering of the birth of Jesus Christ. And really, we all know what it's like to be in an Advent season. Just think about the last time you picked someone up from the airport. Your spouse, a friend, a family member, you're waiting in the car, you're looking, you scoot up, you're looking, you're texting, are you close? Just getting my bag. Like, oh no. And then you have to do the loop around because they won't let you stay. You're like, ah, oh, you gotta go back. And then you see them. You get out and you hug and, and they get in the car. That's that you are adventing in that moment. You are waiting for their arrival. When you're waiting for a movie to release, there's some Star Wars movie, I guess it's a big deal coming out. Huge deal. Rise of Skywalker. There are millions of people adventing for the rise of Skywalker. I remember being a kid and waiting for that new video game to drop. I remember being an adult waiting for DoorDash to show up with my hop dotty. Waiting for your coffee to finish brewing. Do you see how much waiting we do? We wait and we wait and we wait. And at Advent, we remember waiting for Christ. And here's why waiting is just built into the human experience. Waiting reveals and reminds to us we are not God. But our culture wants to turn us into people that don't wait. We want stuff faster. We want it sooner. We want it bigger. We want it better. And if we have to wait, well, we've got a device that'll free us from all waiting. We can read anything. We can watch anything. But to wait, it reveals to us that our lives, they're not complete. We're missing something. Waiting reveals that we still need something. Like if, if I did shave and a haircut and left it, it would irritate you to no end because you want the six bits. You need the six bits. You, you want it to finish out. Even in those two seconds, you're adventing. And beloved, at Christmas time, at Advent, we are saying, our lives are not complete without Christ. We waited for him. He arrived, we need him, and we can have him and believe in him, and he will bring us to him. This is what Advent is all about. And this is where the prophet Isaiah takes us today in Isaiah chapter nine, beginning in verse one. And if you're able, let's stand together for the reading of the word of God. What's happening in Isaiah, he's giving them horrible news because the nation is in such a terrible situation, a terrible state in the midst of great sin. But Isaiah has a word for them that's coming from the future that will lift up their joy. Verse one, in the midst of all of their darkness, verse one, nevertheless, the gloom of the distressed land will not be like that of the former times when he humbled the land of Zebulun and Naphtali. But in the future... He will bring honor to the way of the sea, to the land east of the Jordan, and, and to Galilee of the nations. 
the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. A light has dawned on those living in the land of darkness. You've enlarged the nation and increased its joy. The people have rejoiced before you as they rejoice at harvest time and as they rejoice from dividing spoils. For you have shattered their oppressive yoke and the rod on their shoulders, the staff of their oppressor, just as you did on the day of Midian. For every trampling boot of battle and the bloodied garments of war will be burned as fuel for the fire. For a child will be born for us. A son will be given to us. And the government will be on his shoulders. He will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. The dominion will be vast and its prosperity will never end. He will reign on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and sustain it with justice and righteousness from now and forever. The zeal of the Lord of armies will accomplish this. Let's pray together. Holy Father, help us now as we hear these promises from the past concerning what was their future and as we hear them, these promises concerning what is now in the past and will come in the future. The child born for us. A reign forever. So help us now, Lord. It's in your name we pray, King Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. How many of us were just waiting for Disney Plus to drop? Counting down the days. There was a spirit of Advent in our house around Disney Plus. We kept talking about what shows we're going to watch, what movies we're going to stream, what we're going to add to a list, and everything that we were all just excited to watch from Disney's new streaming platform. And I, I could not wait to show my kids my favorite cartoon from when I was a kid, the animated X-Men series. It is so awesome. And I thought maybe I wouldn't enjoy it as much. Like, oh, I was probably just a, you know, goofy kid. Watch it now as an adult. No, it's just as awesome. And it has one of the best intros of any cartoon ever. The music is amazing. It just goes on. And the bad guys running, the good guys running, each guy getting introduced. I mean, it is like a rock opera in those, that little 30 seconds. And when I showed it to the kids and Oliver, my six-year-old son, he loved it immediately. Uh, so much so that we get into the car and he goes, I want to listen to X-Men. And we, we play the theme song in the car. And in that moment, I just felt like I'm a good dad. <laughs> I'm not a failure. And we watched the first episode of X-Men. It was great. And just like every good streaming platform, it loads up the next one for you, counting down. And the next one started. And then Ivy, you know, she's older and she can read. It, it popped up on the screen, a little option. Skip the intro. She reads it out loud. Skip the intro. Oliver goes, no, Ivy. We're going to listen to it. And I said, good job, buddy. We are going to listen to it because it's so good. It's so great. Skip the intro. No way. And then asked, do we want to skip the intro to, to DuckTales and miss out on race cars, lasers, and airplanes? Here in Duckburg, no way. We're listening to DuckTales. Skip the intro to Gummy Bears, where they're bouncing here and there and everywhere. 
We are the gummy bears. We're not skipping this. That little option to skip the intro is really asking you to opt out of joy. Don't do it. And Advent is a way for us to opt in for joy. We've heard the songs how many times? We've heard the Christmas story how many times? And there's a temptation, I think, every year for an Advent series, like for pastors and for, for hearers of God's word. Oh, we gotta have a new angle. There is no new angle. This story is 2,000 years old. I, I can't find anything new in it. You don't need anything new in it. You need to opt in to hearing the songs again. You need to opt in to hearing the story again. Don't skip the intro. Don't zip past the expectation, the, the longing, the need for Christ. Opt in to the joy of Christmas, to the joy of Jesus, to the joy of God saving sinners like us. And that's exactly where the prophet Isaiah takes us today. To, he takes us to two things, the reason for joy and then the need for joy. And we're gonna begin with the need for joy. Guys, the nation of Israel, as Isaiah is talking to them, they're in a terrible situation, a terrible state. They're in shambles. They're not obeying God. They are constantly under threat of invasion, of being taken over, of being captured, of being ransacked. They're in such a bad state, they can't even figure out where to look to for help. If you still have your Bible open, look at chapter 8 and, and look at verse 19. Listen, listen to what Isaiah says. This is their plan of how to go and find help. This is how bad the situation is for God's people in Israel. 8.19. When they say to you, let's go inquire of the mediums and the spiritists who chirp and mutter. Here's what they're saying. We need help. Let's go talk to the witches and warlocks. Let's go talk to the tarot card readers, the prom readers. Let's go buy a crystal ball and let's try to get help. This is God's people. And that's why Isaiah tells them, verse 20, no, go to God's instruction. Go to his word. I mean, imagine if our church was so unhealthy that you came into meet with the pastors and you said, you know, I really just need instruction for my life. I need God's wisdom here. And if we said, well, we need to go to the palm readers. Did you bring, the did you bring your tarot cards? Did you open up a fortune cookie lately? Let's see what it says. I'm wondering if I should make this big move in my life, if we should move and go to missions for the, you know, well, did you talk to the mirror on your wall? Mirror, mirror on the wall. Should I obey the gospel call and go out? To, no. And, but we would say that church is incredibly sick and has no way of finding out where life is, where God's wisdom is. That's why Isaiah says the nation is looking to witches and warlocks and they should be looking to God's instruction. They are in such a horrible state, wandering in darkness. But then chapter nine, verse one, the first word rings out so clear. Look at it, nine, one, first word, nevertheless. This is an amazing word. This is the equivalent of Ephesians chapter two where verses one through three say, we are dead in our trespasses and sins. We are under the influence of Satan. We are without hope and we have nothing without God in this world. And then verse four comes in, but God being rich in mercy. The nation is going after spiritists and mediums for help, but nevertheless, 
This is the equivalent of Ephesians 2.4. Nevertheless, the gloom of the land, the darkness will not win. It will not overcome them. But in the future, God has something for them. This is the simple message of Christmas and Christianity. God has something for you. We've all wandered and wandered in darkness. We've mismanaged our lives just like the nation of Israel. We've gone to other sources for help instead of the Holy One of God. We, we, we all have sat, or we might even be sitting in, the rubble of our decisions. We might be sitting in the catastrophes that we've ushered into our lives because of our sin. And sometimes we sit in the rubble because we've, we've sought happiness, we've sought joy, and who doesn't wanna be happy? Who doesn't want joy? But the problem is, is that we've looked in all the wrong places. But nevertheless, God has something for us. Verse two, see the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. A light has dawned on those living in the land of darkness. You see the, this is total nerd stuff, but some of us will like it. You see the chiastic structure here? A, darkness, B, light, B, light, A, darkness, dark, light, light, dark. He, he's trying to draw a, a huge connection to th- for you to think about darkness and light and, and the help that, that, it, that it brings to us. Darkness is scary. You remember being a kid and being afraid of the dark. I remember that show on Nickelodeon, All right, Who's Afraid of the Dark? And your kids, when they go to bed at night, they are right to be afraid of the dark. That's not a childish impulse to want the closet light on, to want the hallway light, light on. To go to bed with a light on is right. Do you have motion sensors on your house? Motion lights? Why? Because you're afraid. They're just adult night lights. And it's okay. Your neighborhood has street lights. Why? Because they're adult night lights. Darkness is terrifying. We don't know what's out there. We don't know what could crush us. We don't know what could harm us. And to live in the land of darkness at the end of verse two is to be in a place filled with confusion, a place where you're lost, a place where you're clueless and don't know where to go. But a light has dawned. A light is on the horizon, a light that brings joy. And you see it in verse three. You have enlarged the nation and what? Increased its joy. This is what Christmas is all about. This is what God is after. Increasing our joy. And look at how much he talks about joy now in verse three. Just look at it. The people have rejoiced before you. They rejoice at harvest time, and as they rejoice when dividing the spoils. Four times he talks about joy, increasing it, rejoicing before you, Lord, rejoicing at harvest time, rejoicing as when dividing the spoils, dividing the treasure, from darkness to gloom. Now, four times, joy stock is rising and rising and rising. You might remember from economics in high school or in college, GDP, the gross domestic product of a nation. It's economy, it's value, it's worth of goods and services produced. That is highly important stuff for any, for any nation. But you know what's more important than GDP? GDJ. Gross domestic joy. You have increased the nation and 
increased its, its joy. God is in the market of joy. Isaiah is telling Israel, God will increase your joy. And God is telling you, he will increase your joy right now. God wants it to soar. And there is something weird and suburban uh, evangelical Christianity where we act like happiness and joy are at odds with each other. You talk about being happy and like, no, 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 that's a worldly value. Wrong. Happiness and joy are not at odds with each other. Yeah, there's superficial happiness, but there's also supernatural happiness. Jesus himself teaches this in the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the meek. That's why a lot of Bible translations also render that word blessed is how happy are the meek. How happy are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. How happy are those who love their enemies. God is after your happiness. And then sometimes we hear people say, I know, I know we've heard this, God is more concerned about your holiness than your happiness. What if I told you those are the same thing? What if we were actually truly happy in holiness with Christ? God is after increasing your joy. Is your joy increased See, far too many Christians, our joy spikes and then it flatlines. If we took some of our, our joy stock and, and trend, put it on a trend line, it should be going up and up and up. But sadly, what happens is we have, we have great joy when we're converted, we're, we're thankful for Christ, and then what happens? We go from being so committed to being involved with other Christians, being involved in church, to, to, to barely attending, and then, and then barely engaging with community, and then, then barely serving, and then our joy goes. I mean, I read something this past week that the average, like, solid church member, 15, 20 years ago, the average solid church member attended church three times a week. That's how I grew up, three times a week, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. Now, the average solid good church member attends church twice a month. It's pitiful. And it's, there is a correlation to our joy decreasing. We don't engage as much. We don't read our Bibles as much. We don't serve as much. We don't pray as much. We don't enjoy Christ as much. But God is after increasing our joy. Your gross domestic joy soars when you know what happened at Christmas when you, when you know what happened at the cross of Christ, when you know there is no corpse in that tomb, and when you know that the clouds will be rolled back like a scroll at another advent and the Lord will descend, and your joy rises, and, and, and unlike GDP, it is not affected by any other factors in the world. Your gross domestic joy is solidified, and it is not dependent on other factors because, verse 4, for God, for you have shattered their oppressive yoke because you've been set free from your sin. See, Isaiah looks into the future for the nation of Israel. And he looks, and now we, now we look to the past of this future, futuristic event for them. And we see we've been freed. Our enemies have been defeated. All oppression shall cease. The thrill of hope, the weary Sinners rejoice because from yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. 
when you know you've been set free from oppression, that, that that rod of sin on your back has been melted by the grace of God. And, and in verse five, he gives even a, just a striking analogy, every trampling boot of battle and the bloody garments of war. These are all symbols of horrible, horrible wars. And having to fight and struggle and coming back as losers. Because if you're a victor, you don't need the boots anymore. You retire them. But to hold on to them, the bloody garments of war, you gotta wear them again because you lost. What does God say? What does Isaiah say where he's gonna do with these trampling boots of battle and the bloody garments of war? They will be burned, verse five, as fuel for the fire. Isaiah says, you don't need those things anymore because God is going to set up a bonfire of grace and you won't have to fight against your oppressors anymore. You won't have to try to fight for your joy and try to fight for your salvation and your freedom anymore. But, but there's a disconnect for us. I, Israel had to worry about other nations coming and invading them and killing them and dragging them away. You don't have to worry about that. D despite what political heads might tell us, we don't have to worry about people from the south or people from the north coming to drag us and kill us and take us away. But we have different oppressors than Israel. You have different boots that you've worn and tried to battle in. You have different bloodied garments of war. You have sins and addictions that trap you. You may have a past that, that haunts you. Your boots for war might be the, the ways that you've tried to fight and, and get meaning in your life and then you walk home defeated because you didn't get it. You just left home beaten up. Trying to look a certain way, trying to drive a certain thing, trying to live in a certain house, trying to have that kind of relationship, trying to have that kind of need met, how to get that promotion, whatever it may be. These things that we submit to, that oppress us, God says, my empire of grace will melt all of those things. All of the uniforms of self-accomplishment and all of the medals of self-importance will be worn out and burned in the fire of grace because you don't need them anymore. Burn them. It's over. It's done. They don't serve any purpose. They're useless. You can't fight your way into salvation. You can't grit. You can't battle your way into joy. There's only one way that joy over sin, joy over, over defeat of Satan, and that joy over the defeat of death, there's only one way it comes to us. It's the reason for joy. Verse six, how does our joy increase? For a child will be born for us. A son will be given to us. God says, here's my answer to all of the gloom in this world, to all of your collective distress, to all of your oppression and to all of your pain. A child will be born. I mean, do you feel the magnitude of what God is saying here? All of the pain in your life, all of the sins that you're so sick of that you commit, and just everything in this world that disturbs you, everything in this world that you hate, the evil in this world, the terrorism in this world, 
the overdoses we see in friends and family in this world, the cancer, the oppression, the diseases, all of it. God says, I have a way to get rid of everything in this, to get rid of everything in this world that you hate. A child will be born. A baby. That's God's plan. I know what can overcome evil in this world. A baby. No one else thinks this way. You have never been in a difficult situation in your life and thought, you know who could really help right now? A baby. I need help unclogging this toilet. Unclogging this toilet. Bring the baby over. This baby can help me unclog the toilet. Ah, I got to change, you know, the carburetor on my on my truck. Hey, bring out the newborn. He'll help. As far as humans go, baby stage is the least helpful stage we are in. I can only think of one thing that babies are good for, helpful for, getting us out of stuff we don't want to go to. Ah, I can't go. Baby's a little colicky. Oh, I'd love to go. Baby's a little fussy. Sorry. Babies are great at getting us out of stuff we don't want to go to. But sin? But evil? But giving you a future with a long wick of joy that will never go out? Increasing your gross domestic joy in a supernatural level? But this child, this child's different. Verse 6. The government will be on his shoulders. He will rule not only Israel, but to Galilee of the nations. That's all the way back in verse 1. His government will extend beyond the borders of Israel and go around the world and then some. This child is qualified. He is a genius. He can handle the responsibility of Earth's government, of the universe's government, all on his shoulders. Managing the universe isn't above his pay grade because, verse 6, he will be named Wonderful Counselor. This is not like Camp Counselor. This baby's going to be really good at kickball. No. This isn't even so much like the couch and coffee counselor that we think of. There's a little bit element to that. But more so, this is talking, he is a wonderful wartime strategist. He knows what he's doing in tricky situations. His counsel is always spot on to deliver you from darkness, to overcome sin, to overcome evil. He knows the schemes of the evil one and he knows the ways and methods of grace to set you free. He is a wonderful counselor. Here's what I want you to think about wonderful counselor. Sometimes we think about this, this phrase, this nickname of Jesus, wonderful counselor, and we view it just as restricted to Advent. Oh, uh, baby Jesus and toddler Jesus and newborn baby six ounce, you know, balled it up, fat fist Jesus. He's a wonderful counselor. Is Jesus still not a wonderful counselor today? Doesn't the risen Christ sit at the right hand of the Father for you as a wonderful counselor, as a spiritual warfare, wartime strategist for you? So how often do you go to him and ask him for help? Don't doubt his counsel to you that the meek really will inherit the earth. To not avenge yourself, 
That those who mourn really will be comforted. That those who hunger and thirst for righteousness will be satisfied. That you should do to others as you want them to do to you. You should love your neighbor as yourself. You should pray like this, our Father in heaven. Everything we've been hearing in Matthew, these are all words of a wonderful counselor. So, so treat Christ's words as such and go to him in confidence knowing this next thing is true too, that he is mighty God. Now we see this is no mere baby. I mean, let's think about how we name kids. I'm half Mexican, so sometimes I would meet other kids named Jesus. Totally normal. But if the, if the you know, Anglo side of me, if there was a kid in my neighborhood named Jesus, I'd be like, yikes. That's weird. Naming your kid Jesus, that's like putting huge expectations on him. This is, why, this is why LeBron James even said, I wish I had not named my son LeBron James Jr. Because to name him that was, is now like forever putting stuff on him, forever putting expectations on him, forever tying him to me and us always gonna be measured to one another. And he said, that, I just felt that was so unfair to him. So for this child to be named Mighty God is not an unfair expectation. It is the right expectation. It is the right exclamation because that's who he is. And Jesus of Nazareth will live up to every ounce of being mighty God. He is very God of very God. Eternal God himself. One with the Father. One with the Spirit. That, that's why he's next called eternal Father. I know that sounds very strange. How could he be a son and then also being called eternal father? Because whatever is mighty in the father is mighty in Jesus. Whatever is true of the father is true of Jesus. And he became a man for you and me to set us free, to forgive you, to care for us like the eternal father. As John 1 says, he's the representation of the father to us. He's Prince of Peace, the last one. That's what Jesus brings. And not just to your life, like a, in a moment, he's gonna give me peace for this day. That, that is true on one level, but this is bigger. Because sometimes we just want peace for the day. A good movie can do that. Disney Plus can give you peace for the day. C.S. Lewis said, a glass of port can give you that kind of happiness just for a day. Good food, good movie, good drink can bring you peace. But Jesus is a dealer in kind of peace that never wears out. A kind of peace that comes down from above, not just from out of the earth to help us while we're on the earth, but peace from heaven. Peace from God and peace with God. The kind of peace that can fortify your life to where you're stable with him. And that no matter what happens, no matter what diagnoses, no matter, no matter what happens in your job, what happens in your family, what happens in that hospital room, there is a peace that you can have with the Prince of Peace and the King of Kings. We know Christmas and Advent is all about peace on earth, goodwill towards all men. God does offer terms of peace in this ball of baby fat born in a stable. Remember, Isaiah is talking to them about a future event that they've got to wait for. Decades and decades, lots of Bible pages go by until it arrives. And he wants them to have joy now, to have faith now. 
And now we can look back and go, it happened. So where's my joy now? They had joy in a future event. We're having joy in a past event. And then joy in another future event when he descends. Because his kingdom will never end. That's verse seven. The dominion will be vast. Its prosperity will never end. He'll reign on the throne of David, the greatest king of Israel. He will be the the heir to that throne. And I love this. His kingdom will go from now on and forever. Christians love to say stuff like, oh, Christmas has gotten so political. Do you remember when everybody was freaking out about Starbucks cups? They took Christmas off. Okay. What, you can't celebrate Christmas now? Your joy is arrested by Starbucks? I mean, just give me a break. We just love to complain about stuff. Here's the deal. Christmas is a political message. Starbucks is right to fight back. Christmas is a political message. And it's a message that Jesus' kingdom is expanding and has no end. Its dominion will be vast. Borders mean nothing to Christ's kingdom. And that he, we believe, this little baby that will grow up, will die on a cross, and will rise again from the dead, that he now sits at his father's right hand and reigns over the universe from, I mean, Christmas is all about his cosmic reign. Jesus' kingdom goes from Syria to the Sudan to Canada and Cuba and over comets and quasars to nebula galaxies and wherever it is black holes end, Jesus reigns. And he's alive and well. And only a living Jesus can do this to reign on the throne of David forever. And this should bring us so much joy that we're with him. We are not on the losing side of history. And what I love about this statement from Isaiah is to remind each and every one of us that we can put so much hope in what will happen in politics, what will happen in American government. Well, here's the reality. Only one governmental official will reign forever. And his name is Jesus of Nazareth. Put all your chips on him. If you grew up Baptist, let me rephrase it. Put all your eggs in that basket. Put it all on Christ. Are you in his kingdom? Is Jesus your wonderful counselor? Is he your mighty God? Is he your reason for your domestic joy skyrocketing? I mean, have you finally given up trying to manufacture your own joy? Look to the Christ child. Look to Christmas and see Christ and believe today. Some of us are skeptical. I mean, what do you think Jesus can't help you with? Some of us question Jesus' ability. Can he really even help me? Some of us question Jesus' willingness. Does he even want to? That's why I love the story of one leper, that a man with a skin disease that comes up to Jesus, and Jesus says, what do you want? He says, if you're willing, make me clean. And Jesus touches him and says, I am willing. Jesus is willing. So go to him. Become familiar with him. 
And I know that some of us, we think, oh, become familiar with him. We're thinking, oh, I need to learn Christology or I, I need to learn more about the, the atonement and learn more about the incarnation and learn more theological words. You don't need to learn any more of that first. What you need to learn more of is Jesus himself. Jesus, the living, breathing person that walked on this earth, that died on this earth, that rose from this earth, that ascended from this earth and will return to this earth for you. It's all meant to land right here with these, I'm gonna close with these just five words. How, do you, how does this joy happen? How, how do you get it? How, how do you get the Prince of Peace? How do you get him to become your wonderful counselor? Five words, all in verse six. First two, for us. The child born for us. This is the key. For us. If you underline right in your Bible, I would just underline that. For us. Jesus was born into this world for you, exact purpose, to liberate you, to save you from sin. The, the eternal Son of God came for your sins. He left heaven, took on a human body and blood vessels and hair follicles and everything that comes with it. And he took up residence in Mary's womb and he, he was born and he was burped and he was washed and he learned how to walk and he grew up in Israel and he was crucified for you as Paul tells us in Galatians 3.13, that Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. From you sin, you die. You sin, you get God's judgment. You sin, you get God's wrath. That's the curse of the law. But Christ redeems us from it by becoming a curse for us. In our place, for us. Because it's written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. So when Jesus was nailed to that cross, hanging there as a spectacle before everyone outside of Jerusalem, he became that curse for us so that we could receive the blessings of God, so we could receive forgiveness of sins. He was born for you, to die for you, to rise for you in your sins, your drunkenness, your lust, your lies, your envy, your gossip, your people-pleasing, your gluttony, your, your fear of man, your need for approval, your materialism, your greed, your drug use, your all. Jesus came for you and all of your sins, the whole lot. Remember that show Storage Wars? They'd go and bid on these storage units. He couldn't just bid on stuff in it. Like, oh, I just want that thing. So now I want all of it. Jesus looks at our lives and says, I'm getting all of it. I'm dying for all of it. He was born for us for this. To save you. All you must do is believe. The last three words given to us. A son, a child was born for us and a son will be given to us. Is he yours? I know some of us feel like we're Christians because we're not at a Buddhist temple. That because we come to church. Church was not given to us. Being an American was not given to us to save us. Christ was given to us. Have you received him? Have you received Jesus as your savior? Have you thrown all of your efforts of trying to save yourself into that bonfire of grace and just said, save me, Jesus. 
I'm trusting your efforts, your cross, your death, your resurrection to save me. I'm opting in. Wait no more. Opt in for the joy of Christ today, now, and forever. Let's pray together. King Jesus, help us to trust you, to believe that a light has dawned 2,000 years ago on the Galilean countryside, and its light has not diminished. Its light has not gone out, and it will never go out, for you are the light of the world, and in your light we see light. Lord, help us to have joy over you. To not depend on circumstances, to, to not just hope this season that our, that our kids are happy with the junk we buy them, but that we're happy in you. That this season's hottest, most desirable, best thing would be you. Help us, King Jesus. And it's in your mighty name that we pray, Lord, the child that was born for us, given to us. In your name we pray, amen.